Uh, tonight, I want to talk to us a little bit about what we're dealing with, not just as a state, but what we're dealing with personally. And, and so hopefully you can uh, uh, get yourself ready because I think we are ready to hear what God has to say if he hasn't already spoken to you, right? Can we say thank you to our worship team? They did such a wonderful job. They did an excellent job. And God said, let there be light. So I want you to turn your Bibles, uh, open up your Bibles to Galatians 5.22. And some of you know this scripture by heart, Galatians 5.22. So take out your Bibles. Galatians 5.22. And then also put a little, uh, put a bookmark there and then uh, uh, also turn to Luke 12.48. So book, book, actually bookmark the two, uh, Luke 12, 48 and Galatians 5, 22. And thank you ushers for uh, doing the offering and, and collecting the buckets. And thank you again, as Pastor Ward was saying, uh, for your hearts and giving. Now one of the things we're getting ready for is our pumpkin party. And that is our biggest service of the year. Over 3,000 people attend that. I mean, we, we can't really count them all. You know, it's like trying to count stars. You know, you try when you're a little kid. I was with my grandchild the other day, and I said, I said, let's count the stars. And I was just joking. I didn't know he was going to actually do it. So he goes, one, two, three. I'm like, okay, okay, we, we, there's a lot. There's a lot of stars. And so when we have the pumpkin party, there are so many people. Uh, we don't know how many exactly, so we estimate over 3,000 people. And uh, that is our biggest service. And the reason why we call it a service or like a, a time where we gather is because we as the church are supposed to love people toward the kingdom of God. And so as we prepare for the pumpkin party, you're going to hear more details on what's taking place, uh, the different things that are happening. Uh, we kind of are revamping it and redeeming the pumpkin party to be used in a greater way than, than we have ever used before. That when you invite your family and friends, they're going to have the opportunity to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior in such a creative way that they will understand the gospel, they will understand how much God loves them, and they will understand why we do what we do here at New Hope. So get ready for the pumpkin party. Be praying for the, the volunteers and those who are, are uh, putting their hands to the plow and uh, forging ahead. Uh, pray for us as a church. Pray for the staff, the team that is uh, kind of spearheading uh, and if you want to get involved, then take out your bulletin. I, I don't think there's a the tear-off tab on this one, but uh, what you actually could do is on Sunday, fill that in. Actually, on this one, you have a bookmarker. And what we wanted to do was equip you for doing devotions. And the office team, I think Lance Takai uh, came up with this, and I'm sure there's other people that uh, helped him. But uh, just a brilliant idea to put this in the hands of all of us Sometimes the bookmarker falls out of the bulletin, and so we don't have it with us. But this, you'll be able to read along with us in the Bible. And on Sundays, this is what we go through, the bookmarker. So when you come on Sundays, you'll be hearing everything that we're reading uh, just in a more detailed way and like a specific thing. But then together, we'll be reading the Bible. But please pray for everyone. Uh, play, uh, pray for Bunny Correa because she's over overseeing the whole thing. So if it goes bad, it's her fault. I'm just kidding, Bunny. I know where you're sitting. Uh, tonight, we're going to be talking about a couple things that helps us to look ahead. So if you want to write a title down, it's looking ahead spiritually. Because I think we need to all look ahead spiritually. 
If we don't look ahead spiritually, then what, what is going to take place in our lives spiritually? What's going to happen to us spiritually? How are, we, how are we going to grow spiritually? I think sometimes we look ahead when we're driving because we don't want to get into an accident up ahead. Sometimes we look at our lives or our health up ahead because we don't want to have an unhealthy lifestyle or an, or an unhealthy body, so we think things through. We look ahead in our budgeting and our finances because we don't want to go into debt or not be able to pay the bills. So we look ahead in those things, but very rarely do we look ahead spiritually. Sometimes we will. We'll look ahead and say, oh, Lord, what are you doing in my life? And we won't be as specific as saying, Lord, in the next 15 years, who do you want me to disciple? See, there's a difference. There's a difference with saying, Lord, can you... Can you mold me and shape me into the image you want me to be with? Lord, can you change me so that I can disciple someone else? So that I can help someone else grow in you? So that I can help someone else find you? I don't just want to be on the sideline, Lord. I want to be on the playing field where I can help someone else become more and more the person you created them to be. And I tell you, when you begin to invest in someone's life, then it changes you because now you're accountable, not just to the Lord, but to that person too. And so it's a challenge for us to say, Lord, I want to look ahead spiritually. What are some things that you want to do in my life as I look ahead in my life spiritually that will challenge me today? Because even the small changes today spiritually will make a greater impact for us tomorrow. It's all those small little changes that take place today that's going to make an impact tomorrow. It's going to impact our families, our children, our grandchildren, our communities. If you're a school teacher or someone who is with little children, you're going to impact the next generation. So God has given you that leadership skill, gift, uh, position to disciple other people. And that was Jesus' mandate. He said, go out into all the world and make disciples. Make disciples. That's what a church is for. It's so that we can make disciples. It's not so that disciples can just gather. It's so that we can make disciples. And so how do we look ahead growing spiritually? Or how do we look ahead spiritually? How do we, how do, we do that? Some of us will do devotions. Some of us will pray. Uh, last week we talked about fasting. And we'll talk a little bit about that tonight. Uh, and the different kinds of fast. And there, there are many different kinds of fast. And, and many areas that the Bible will talk about when it comes to fasting. But we're going to look at some tonight. That will help us. Uh, and one of the reasons why some of us are fasting is because uh, we were talking about where we're heading as a state spiritually regarding same-sex marriage. Regarding this law that is uh, being considered and the bill that will be put in uh, does not bring equality to everyone. And so it needs to be revised so that it can bring a crystal clear uh, vision for not just us as a state but for the freedom of religion. Because right now, if the bill was to put into place and the law were to be passed, it does not protect you as a Christian. Because if you were to, let's just say you're a business owner and this law passes, uh, the same-sex law, uh, same-sex uh, marriage law passes, if that passes and you're a Christian business owner and you just have a conscience in saying, you know, um, if someone came to you and they said, well, we want to be married and they're the same sex and can you make our birthday cake, um, can you make our wedding cake and put, you know, male and male or female and female and you're in your conscience, you're saying, but that doesn't coincide with my belief, but I can have another 
person uh, make it for you, uh, if that law stays how it's worded right now, you can lose your business license because you can get sued. In fact, on Oahu, one bed and breakfast uh, owner, lost, uh, they lost a lawsuit because a homosexual couple came into their place and said, oh, we wanted to sleep here. And they said, well, it kind of goes against our conscience, but we have another wonderful place that you can stay. And they sued them and the Christians lost because of discrimination. So uh, keep that in mind. And again, it's not about, it's not about a person it's not about uh, we're, we're bashing homosexuals. It's where we're heading as a state, and we need to get educated. Otherwise, it's going to be uh, just off-the-cuff thinking and random thinking of, oh, Christians hate homosexuals. No. God loves every single person. God, listen, God loves homosexuals. But he doesn't like homosexuality. God loves an adulterer, but he doesn't love adultery. God loves a sinner, but he doesn't like the sin. See, we have to be careful of how we word things and and how we kind of just throw things on the side and say, oh, one is for this, one is for that. No, there's so much more to it that we got to get educated. So the process that's been taking place and all the things that we've been seeing uh, a lot of questions have been asked, which are important. Uh, people will comment on and say things coming from their perspective. Uh, they'll voice their opinion, which is fine. They're entitled to it. It's, you know, freedom of speech. But we want to be a church that doesn't base our doctrine, our belief, and our, our uh, direction based on what we believe or our personal opinion. It needs to be based on the Word of God. It has to be biblical. If it's not biblical, then we're not a church. We cannot run this church based on our opinion. Otherwise, it, we, we would be dismantled in an instant because every single one of us has our own personal opinion, how we feel, what we believe. But when we use the Bible, which never changes, which has stood the test of time, then that keeps us on base and it keeps us moving forward. So let me just clarify some things. Now, people will say, you know, Christians talk about racism, that they hate racism. They're against racism, but when it comes to the homosexual, you discriminate against the homosexual. Why is there a double standard? So I cannot justify, nor can you justify, when someone deviates from the truth. You can't justify that, or what is morally displeasing to God of, of what someone else is doing in their life. Then I can justify, or you can justify, your own tendencies to deviate. You catch what I'm saying? As the Bible says, you can't remove the speck in your brother's eye unless you first remove the log in your own eye. So in order for us to say, oh, it's a, it, uh, how, can, how can Christians talk about racism and discrimination, but then when it comes to a homosexual, that they, they still discriminate? The problem with that kind of question, actually, is you, you're putting the, the two different kinds of ideas in a same question. It, 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 it doesn't coincide with one another. See, my natural or habitual inclination to do things that are displeasing to God, I don't always act on them. Because we're born as a sinful person. We're born as sinful people. So we're already born with the tendency to do 
what is not pleasing to God. So in order for me to tell someone, hey, you know, you, you are uh, discriminating uh, in this area uh, and I'm different and I'm showing uh, kind of like a double standard, then I got to really rethink what am I actually saying? If I were to go outside of my, maritable, my uh, marital boundaries, which I'm married, and if I were to go outside of that and sleep with another person, that is going against God's moral standards. Agreed? If as a married person, as Jesus said, if you were to even think in a lustful way of another person, you have already committed adultery in your heart. Agreed? It's the Bible says. So when it comes to temptation, Jesus already addressed that. He said, look, you're going to be tempted. It's going to happen. Temptation will happen. It stalks us every day. Does it have to do anything? Does it have anything to do with, with our love for our spouse? Maybe, maybe not. It's just temptation. You can love your spouse with 100% desire to love the person, but the human body resp- responds to sight. It responds to the, the entertaining thoughts that we have. And then it leads to, as the Bible says, it leads to sin. And it gives you the various false hints that the grass is greener on the other side. And so we start to think that way, but it's not. And our human tendencies will tell us those things, but it's not. You, you leave emptier than what you were before when you just go along with all the feelings you have and our human tendencies So a tendency or disposition does not justify expressing that disposition. And that is across the board for all sexuality. When you understand that it's not about a discrimination, but about our fallen human nature, then everything changes. It's like this. Some people will say, well, you talk about racism. And you say that's wrong to discriminate. But then you discriminate against the homosexual. Now here's the problem. With racism, that's an idea. This is personal. You can't change your race, can you? You can't change that. You can't change who you are. But there are homosexuals who have come to know Jesus Christ and have changed their ways. So they would say, I was a former homosexual. Yes, I still have those tendencies. But due to my love for Jesus Christ, I don't follow those tendencies. I need Jesus every day so that I don't fall into this. That's what they would say. And those are testimonies of people who have changed. This person who has a race, they can't come one day and say, Oh, I used to be Filipino, (laughs) but uh, now I'm Hawaiian. You can't do that. Why? Because their race is sacred. And what is sacred is unchanging. You can't violate that. You can't. You can't violate that. This, why 
why the Bible is so strong on this and why we're so strong on this issue is because homosexuality becomes personal and the gift that God gave to mankind called sex is also sacred. Because sex is sacred, because God created that, because racism or our race is sacred or who God made us to be is sacred, why are we saying one is not sacred than the other? Why are we saying that uh, the homosexual uh, is a discrimination when it comes to you saying they shouldn't be a homosexual? We're not saying that it's the homosexual is sacred. We're saying sex is sacred. The reason why God gave sex is for marriage. It's God's gift for marriage. Now, someone would say, okay, then I'm going to make it sacred by passing this law. Then we'll have a sacred, in God's eyes, sexual lifestyle. But what we're forgetting is now we're trying to change God's laws to fit our ways so that we can feel like we're pleasing to God. And God says from the very beginning that he created them male and female. Now, just before that, remember God said after he created man, he said, it is not good that man should live alone, that man be alone. The problem, though, with that statement is, was man alone? Who was he with? He was with God. And there were animals too, but he wasn't alone as far as the relationship goes. Yeah, he was with animals, which is true. But he was also with God. And we will say, sometimes we'll say, you're never alone. God is always there. But why did God say that it is not good for man to be alone? What was God trying to say? Because if God is saying that it is not good that man should be alone, and then he creates woman who complements man's being alone, then there's something powerful about man and woman. There's something powerful about that. God created woman to fulfill that desire that man had, that God put in there, not just emotionally and sexually, but also for the two to become one. So that as they do, they can populate the earth. God made it that way. You know what I find interesting? That that was God's plan. But what we're trying to do is make our own plan by passing this law of same-sex same marriage. That's what we're trying to do. God has his plan, but we're saying we, we want a different plan. And so now here's where it becomes difficult because people have asked me this question. They said, so why do people have homosexual tendencies then? Why, if God created us like this, that they have those tendencies? Aren't they born that way? Aren't they born homosexual? Now, even that question, doctors, scientists are still trying to figure that out. And many say, oh, we've kind of found it out. There's TV shows that says, no, here's some things that are in there that are showing that they're born this way. And the more I watch these things, the more I study on this, the more I start to wonder 
if they're on to something. That maybe, maybe they're on to the truth that we're all born a sinner. So if we're all born a sinner, I don't know what the doctors are doing or the scientists are doing. The Bible already says it's true. We're already born a sinner. We're born with a tendency to commit adultery one day. We're born with a tendency to rob a bank one day. We're born with a tendency to do something that violates the laws of God. We're already born with that. So I don't know why they're trying to find scientific evidence to say we're born in a certain way. The Bible already says we are. It's almost like God is scratching his head going, come on, guys, come on. I already gave you the answer. But you see, mankind, we try to produce our own laws so that we can, as time passes by, become our own God. Here's what's scary. And this is what I tell my friends who are homosexuals because even my friends who are homosexuals, they're trying to deal with this and they're saying, where does the church stand on this? Does God still love me? Absolutely. Someone asked this question. Can, uh, let, me, let me do this first before I get off base. Even those who are stuck in between of where do I go with this decision? How, how, do, I, how do I voice my opinion? Uh, and they're here. And the question now is, do I, do I say yes or no to same-sex marriage? Do I, do I just say, ah, forget about it. It doesn't bother me. It's not going to do anything to me. What, what, am I gonna, what difference am I going to make? If they're here, and even some of my friends who are kind of questioning too, and, and they're... living a homosexual life. And they're saying, yeah, we should get towards same-sex marriage and everything will be fine and everyone will get along. Everything will be okay. Why don't you Christians just get it together? That's kind of the, the move that they want. What they don't see is that it's not going to stop at same-sex marriage. It's going to continue on. And then not only will someone say, oh, okay, so it's okay for a man to marry a man and a woman to marry a woman. Then someone's going to say, you know what, um, I would like to marry my sister. I'm, and I'm not making fun of this because this is already happening, guys. This is already happening. I want to marry my sister or my brother. Yeah, I know it's a, but it's the truth. That's what's happening. And so by the time they get here, uh, who stops them from saying, I want to marry my son or daughter? Now you might say, that's ludicrous. That's insane. That's not going to happen. Yeah, we said that years ago, decades ago, when it came to same-sex marriage. But this is the route they're going. This is the, where they want to go. To come to the place where now mankind makes their own decisions on what they want to do, whatever they want to do, by law. And they become their own small g God. That's the future. So even those caught up in all of this, even those who, let's just say the law does pass, like 13 other states. Let's just say it did pass. It's not going to stop there. Every single person is going to be caught up in this. That's where it's going to head. So if you're wondering or if you have family members or even if you have a loved one or even if you're living a homosexual lifestyle and you're saying, I want same-sex marriage, even if you get that, you're still stuck in this stream going downstream near the waterfall. You're still on that. We're all in this boat together. It's not Christians against homosexuals. It's the devil against God, period. That's what it is. 
And so if we don't begin to get back to what Christ is saying and what he came to do, we're all going off the deep end. The devil don't, listen, the devil don't care if you're a homosexual, if you're a Christian, so long as we all don't follow Jesus Christ. He doesn't care what you believe, so long you don't live out what you believe. He could care less. So long as he, if he can get us focused on all of this, after a while we become this. We won't even know it. It just, it just happens. That's why it's important to get back to the word of God. Back to what God says. Someone said, so even if, even if there's a, a Christian who, who believes that they're saved by God, and a Christian who says, you know what, I, yeah, I have those tendencies to stray from God. But I, I know what God did for me, and I know what Christ means to me, and I know what the Word says. What do I do with all of these, this, this disposition that I have and this, this tendency to want to sin and live a lifestyle that is not pleasing to God? What do I do with that? Because you don't know how hard it is. You see, a... a a heterosexual couple, if they're living together, their solution can be two things. Either get married or move out to stay away from the temptation of sleeping together or having sex outside of marriage. That's their options. Here's where it becomes very difficult for a homosexual couple. Their option is not to ever again be in this relationship. That's their option. So can you see how difficult it is for a homosexual just to say, okay, you're right. It's a difficult thing because now what you're doing is you're telling them, and, and this is what they, this is coming from their heart now, that other person loves me more than anybody else in my life. You're telling me I cannot be with that person forever. So it rips the piece of their heart out. So you can see why it's so hard. You can see how the devil slowly gets us to the place where it's impossible to do something that God is asking us to do because it just hurts so much. But for us, in a heterosexual lifestyle, we just can get married. Can you see why they're saying, then can you just pass this law? Because for many of them, they think if they just pass this law, then we'll be pleasing in the sight of God because then we'll be married. Because you Christians say, if you're not married then that, and you're sleeping together, then that, that's displeasing to God. But if we're married, then we'll be pleasing to God. See, now we become, again, our own God. We've got to understand the full biblical context when it comes to marriage. There's a man by the name of Henry, Henry Nowen, uh, Nowen, who was born in Holland in 1932 ordained a Catholic priest in 1957, got a doctorate in theology, experienced the monastic life, and uh, lived among the poor in Latin America with missionaries, and was interested and active in numerous causes related to social justice. So he, he liked working with people. He loved working with people. But after a, a lifetime of seeking, Henry Nowen finally found his home in Canada as a pastor of large daybreak, where people with intellectual disabilities and their caregivers live together in, hum, uh, in community. So he, he kind of settled down and wanted to help those who are mentally uh, unstable. 
Henry Nouwen wrote over 40 books, Christian books, on spirituality and the spiritual life that, that he talks about has sold, over, uh, has sold millions of copies and has been translated into dozens of languages. And in one of his most recent books, or his last books that he has written, um, he passed away, I think, in 1996, but one of the books that he had written, he disclosed in it that he, after a long period in his life, figured out that he was a homosexual. But he never gave in to those homosexual tendencies for the cause of Christ. So it is possible for someone, because people will ask, can there, is, is it possible for someone to be a Christian homosexual? And the answer is absolutely yes. But to have a Christian homosexual continue to practice that lifestyle, then it raises the question. See, I think we want to, we want to be people who help people find Jesus. You and I, with all the knowledge we have, all the advice that we have, cannot change people, and that's not our job. Did you know that? Our job is not to change people. If you've been trying to change your spouse, you should know by now it's not working. If you've been trying to change someone, you should know by now it's not working. In fact, what do they do? They get mad at you. It gets worse. They, they run away from you. They, they get angry at you. For the person that says, you know, so... What does it take then to believe and, and, and to do what and, and to live as a Christian? How do you do that? Now, in Galatians 5.22, and hopefully you still have your bookmark there. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And then what? And then what? Okay, if you don't have your Bibles, it is self-control. Now, I'm wondering, I wonder, I wonder if Paul, who was the one uh, writing these letters to the churches and this one particular church in Galatia, now, Paul is a single man, they believe, and as he's writing, okay, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, I got love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, I got all of that love. What else? What else? Gentleness, I'm gentle, okay. You know what? What else? What else is this fruit of the Spirit? What, what did Jesus do? What did he practice? self-control. And it's like that's the last one we commonly or most commonly think about, that it is self-control that causes us to slip into our natural human tendencies. Some people will say like this, that's just the way I am. That's just the way I am. I, uh, that's just my blood. You know, I get angry like that because I have that kind of blood. I have a quick temper because that's the kind of blood I have. Well, if you got a blood transfusion, you will still have those anger problems. You will still have those tendencies because it's not the blood running through your veins. What Paul was saying is there is a way to have self-control because above it there is no law. In other words, you can't, you can't change the laws of God. The fruit of the Spirit, and one of them the self-control, and all of them actually put together make up the fruit of the Spirit, that's unchangeable, which means that's the power we need to overcome whatever desires we may have. 
It's self-control. So what does it take to believe and to do what and, and how to live as a Christian? So if you're asking, what does it take to be a Christian? Well, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that God raised him from the dead, and, and, and you trust in the Lord, in who he is, and you're a believer. Then you may ask the question, well, what does it take to come and belong to the church? How do I do that? So if you want to become a member or someone who belongs to the church, then there are certain doctrinal beliefs that you're going to stand by. For instance, you can't believe that the Bible is 80% junk and 20% nice. 80%, ah, I don't want to believe in that, but 20%, oh, I want to believe in that. That's not what we preach here. It's 100% of the Bible. That's why it's, it's almost like a pet peeve when someone says, yeah, but look at what this scripture says. I'm like, are you serious? You're going to take that one scripture and you're going to live your lifestyle according to that one scripture? Yeah, because that's what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible says. That's what that scripture says. You can take out anything out of context and do whatever you want. We've done that before. When you get into an argument, no, this is what you said, but that's not what I meant. No, but that's what you said, but that's not what I meant, but that's what you said. And we take it out of context. Well, we do the very same thing with the Bible. It's the whole word of God. You can't just take out one scripture. So you've you got to believe in 100%. Then there are certain doctrines that you're committed to, certain core values and code of conducts that you're committed to when you belong to a, a family of believers. It's not just the belief in Jesus. There are certain community expressions to, of that belief that you're submitted to, that you're expressing how much you believe in Jesus Christ by being among other believers and the way you conduct yourself. So then you might ask, so what does it take for me to, to teach as a pastor here at New Hope Hilo, Hawaii? What does it take to lead? Uh, now I would say, well, you would have to add more to what we just talked about now. So with... Each line of affiliation, each line that you kind of move up in a, a uh, responsible uh, position, as the Bible says, where much is given, much is required. Look at the book of Luke, uh, if, you're, if your bookmark is there already. Luke chapter 12. It says, let your waist be girded, uh, chapter 12, verse 35. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. It says, blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch, and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, I also, you also, be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So Jesus gives that illustration. And, and so Peter says to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all the people? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, Master, 
My master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in, will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. Now here's where it comes to a point. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. With few. For everyone, everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. Because people ask this all the time. Can you say, or can there be a person who is not living the lifestyle that is pleasing to God be a Christian leader? Can a practicing adulterer be a pastor? Can someone living a homosexual lifestyle be in leadership? Can they be a pastor? Sometimes they'll ask, can a homosexual attend church? And my, my answer is absolutely yes. Absolutely. Well, can they serve in a ministry? Now you're talking a different level of growth because where much is given, much is required. It's like me saying, well, then if, if that's the case, then it should be okay with me to be a polygamist. It, it's okay for me to have uh, uh, more than one wife. It's okay for me to... It's just a thing. Hey? Uh, it's okay for me to, uh, you know, rob banks and, and say, oh, God provided. He provided. I walked in there with a gun. They gave me all this money. Praise the Lord. I, I, I can justify every single behavior. If there... I mean, where do we draw the line? Where do we draw the line? There needs to be a, a, a definite line somewhere according to someone's growth. Jesus said, I, I, would, I would want you to bear fruit and fruit that remains. Not just, just to become a believer and then that's it. He's saying, yeah, that's great, but now you go out and you reach out to other people. Now where much is given, much is required. You and I have been given the most valuable, most treasured thing in the whole entire universe. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, what he came to do. So we've been given much. Therefore, much is required out of us. So I think for us to look at where we are, and, and, and in the next couple of weeks, we're still going to be talking about this because there's a lot that I gave you tonight, which you're probably a little uh, racking your brain. Uh, we're going to have to dissect all of this. And the reason why we're talking about this is because you need to know what to say. Your family and friends are going to ask you those questions. They're going to ask you tough questions. And hopefully you can answer them correctly. Now, when it comes to the racism and the homosexuality, hopefully you can catch that. And, and I know the first time I started thinking about this, I just didn't get it. And I still have to think it through over and over and over again. But I pray in the next couple of weeks, and some of you are fasting, I know because of our time, I'm going to give you just a couple of things uh, that are uh, a ways to fast. And so uh, turn to the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 58.
And Isaiah's in the Old Testament. And so Isaiah 58, verse, verses 6 through 8. Isaiah 68, verses 6 through 8. It, it, this is kind of like the, um, what did I say? Isaiah 58, sorry. Yeah. Isaiah 58, verses 6 through 8. Uh, when, when you're thinking about, okay, what, do I, what is fasting about? What, what, is, what is that all about? What does that do? Uh, fasting is basically uh, denying yourself from food or, well, basically it's food and in some cases water so that you can draw closer to God spiritually. So you're fasting from food and sometimes water so that you can grow spiritually closer to God. Because what that's doing, it's, it's denying your flesh so that while you're weak in your flesh, you can become strong in your spirit. It's amazing. Some of our spiritual mechanisms are so weak that we mistake God's voice, listen very carefully, for hunger. Our spiritual mechanisms are so weak that we mistake God's voice for hunger. We're like, oh, I'm hungry. No, it's God trying to speak. We automatically go to the refrigerator. Oh, I get free, I get free. Close that, open the freezer, we'll get, close that, open up the pantry, we'll get, and I'll keep closing it. Why? Because you're not really hungry, you're just looking for a quick snack while God is trying to speak. And that's what fasting does. It puts the flesh on the side, so when we have that hunger pain, we now strengthen our spiritual mechanism, not the hunger mechanism. And then we say, God, what are you trying to say to me? What are you speaking? So Isaiah 58, verses 6 through 8, it says, Is this not the fast I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, that's one. To undo the heavy burdens, that's two. To let the oppressed go free, that's number three. And that you break every yoke, that's number four. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, that's number five. And that you bring, your, you bring to your house the poor who are cast out, that's six. When you see the naked, that you cover him, that's seven. And not hide yourself from your own flesh. That's eight. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing spring forth speedily. And your righteousness shall go before you. In the next couple of weeks, we want to look at what does fasting do? How does that help me in my spiritual walk with God? And because of time, we're not going to cover them tonight. But I want you to take a look at that. Isaiah chapter 58, verses 6 through 8. And just think about, Lord, what are you speaking to me when it comes to fasting? Because one of the things you want to fast about is this same-sex marriage and saying, Lord, we pray that it would be voted down, that you would have your way. And at the same time, we as Christians would still have the open heart to welcome people into your kingdom because where else will people find hope? It has to be because of you and I who found the hope of the world through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together and close your Bibles. Lord, as we, as we pray together, uh, some of us are fasting, and, and maybe some of us you have spoken to tonight about fasting. Uh, 
But it really comes to the place where what you're asking us to do and, and what you're asking of us. Now, these things aren't easy to, to, uh, to dissect and, and to digest because our, our, our human nature has a tendency to do what it wants to do. Lord, I, I do pray for our family and friends who are dealing with this situation and even for our friends who are, who are kind of stuck in the middle, uh, those who uh, live a homosexual lifestyle. Lord, we pray that your love and your grace would cover them. And, and even though they have those, t- those tendencies, uh, that you, Lord, would empower them to turn to you Lord, it's, it's, it's really with your love and your grace that we find your mercies that are new every single morning. And so we pray that your, your church, your people, the called out ones, would be a light unto this world and help us as we continue to move forward, Lord, do our part in calling our representatives, the Senate, our governor, even meeting with people, our representatives or our senators. Lord, just to let them know that this is where we stand. Uh, They won't know unless we say something. And so help us as a church, Lord, to represent you well and not be uh, the people who point fingers, but people who come with humble hearts as you do to a dying world who desperately needs you. We thank you for giving us the, the most powerful message in the world, It's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And where much is given, Lord, much is required. Help us to change so that when people hear our words, it lines up with the lifestyle we live. So we put our trust in you, Lord. Strengthen us as your church. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, amen.